0: So, without further ado, I want to call our uh, leadership team treasurer Scott Sterling up to give a report. Give him a hand, will you? <laughs> They're cheering for you, man. Yeah, the only church in the country that cheers for a finance report. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, this would be my quickest ever. It's only thirty-four minutes long. I have seven slides, ten minutes per. Um, you're familiar, we have a leadership team, which is kind of our elder board here, but we also have a financial advisory board, and that financial advisory board uh, really provides a lot of um, counsel and advice and review of our financial uh, information. So I want to um, show you a list of the people that are on that financial advisory board. These are all members of the church. So we have Tony Liu, Steve Baumgartner, Mike Olstad, and two new ones, Brooke Imhoff and Mike Hansen. So yeah, give them a round of applause. They do a lot of work. Next slide. Yeah, this is a finance report, isn't it? So okay, I'm glad you asked. I appreciate the questions. Um, this one, this next slide's a little bit um, blurry, or a little bit, a lot of information. So I'm going to kind of read through it for you. The furthest left side, the two bar graphs or two bars show 2017 and 2018. 2017 is orange. 2018 is that grayish brown. Uh, the two left bars show actual giving year versus year so we're down a little bit from 500,000 to 487 this current year in actual giving so we're we're lower than we were last year the middle two bars show our budgeted expenses and so as you can see we had a significant difference between the actual giving this year of 487 to our budgeted expenses of 584 so that's almost a $100,000 difference between the giving and the budgeted expenses and now we look at our last two bars, which show our actual expenses. So there's a difference there, too, between the 584 of budgeted expenses and 604 of actual expenses. So, next slide. What does all this mean? So as you've seen in our ball, enough with the gobbledygook. I had to look that word up on how to spell it, by the way. Uh, if you look in the... the uh, the bulletin, each week we, pre- we uh, present the offer- offering amounts. And as you've noticed, we've been short each week uh, on average. And so what that means is we've depleted our cash by $117,000 year to date. That's a big number. Uh, it's not uncommon for churches to deplete-, deplete cash early on in the year and to make it up at the end of the year, but this number is a larger number than we're used to. So, uh, so the question might be, what makes up that depletion of cash? So these next three items kind of give you an overall summary of that. First of all, of course, that shortfall of offering will help us to deplete cash. And then also we had some unexpected building and, uh, expenses of about $30,000. You know, we've had roof issues, we've had leaks, and we've had to have people look into that. And some has been covered by insurance, but some hasn't, and we have to take care of that. In addition, we have aging HVAC systems, uh, so we have to take care of those as well to make sure the building is heated and cooled to how we like it. And doesn't cause problems for water and and pipes and and stuff like that. Also, we've had some increased benefit costs. That's just a reality of life. Who hasn't experienced that, right? Uh, That all benefits are kind of going up, so we have to make sure we budget that in coming years. But at this point, what this means is we're nearing our minimum threshold for cash on hand. So what does that mean? What was that again, the part about the minimum threshold stuff? Essentially, We have an agreement with our bank that will have a minimum amount of cash on hand so that we can meet our costs. That's something that the leadership team, the financial advisory board, and our bank um, really recommends that we do and and it makes good sense too to make sure that we are covering our expenses. Um, And so that minimum threshold, uh, if we continue at the trajectory we're currently at where we're depleting cash, we will hit that. So what does that mean? The About three years ago, the leadership team and the financial advisory board and the pastoral staff put together a list that um, is kind of a priorities list. If we hit that minimum threshold amount, and we would make sure we uh, communicate that to you at that moment, uh, there's a priority list of things that we start doing. We have a reaction to that minimum threshold amount being met. So it's stuff like... Uh, budget freezes and um, reduction in um, other costs and staff hours, and it goes on and on and on. It's a very well thought out, very prayerful list, but I want you to know we do have a plan in place in case we come to that. But again, we'll communicate that if we get there. But we are on a trajectory to hit that here uh, this year. So sum it up for me, Scott. Essentially, our building is aging. And as all aging buildings uh, are, they require more maintenance. And with more maintenance comes more cost. Here's an example. Uh, We have 10 HVAC units on top of the roof that heat and cool the building. The life expectancy of those are about 15 years or so. Um, We have on this side of the building, which was our phase one build, they're about 17 years old. And on the other side of the building, the phase two build out, they're about 12 years old that means they all require a lot of maintenance we can continue maintaining them we can we can spend dollars toward uh, maintaining them but at some point we are gonna have to replace and each of those units costs about I don't know 15 grand or so so these are expenses we're gonna have to take into account uh, as we look into our next budget year 2019 another thing I want to point out is that our staff is incredible at managing their budget the leadership team acknowledges this, the financial advisory board acknowledges this, the staff, uh, uh, the pastors acknowledge this, and probably just as, maybe even more importantly, an independent source, our bank acknowledges this. And sometimes it's tough when you're not as close to the dollars. You wonder what's going on with the cash. And I, just want, I just want to reassure you that uh, the staff is just excellent at maintaining budgets. What they make happen out of the limited funds they have in their budget buckets is truly incredible. So you can rest assured, and if you have questions about it, I'd be happy to show you details, but you can rest assured it's being treated with a lot of respect and uh, the care and prayer that, that's required to them. Now the cool stuff. We've seen this every year for the last four or five years. God always comes through. For the last four years, we've met our budget with a fourth quarter push, and here we are in fourth quarter. We've got 11 weeks to, uh, to push through. So, in our bulletin, uh, we're going to start making a change. where starting this week, the required average in order to meet our budget jumps from the fourteen grand or so to twenty four seven That's the amount needed each week to make, to meet our uh budget for the twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen year. And it seems like a daunting number, and it is big. It's bigger than we've had the last few years. But the reality is every year we've prayed this, and every year we've poured in, and we've seen God show up in miraculous ways. So just be prayerful about that. Uh, ask the two questions, Lord. What do you want to say to me about this, and how do you want me to respond? And, uh, and if you require more information, you can certainly ask uh, any of the pastors. You can ask me. You can ask anyone on our financial advisory board. We can share information for you. Um, how can you do that? You can meet me in the lobby after the service. I'll be out there at the welcome desk. We can chat about that. You can send an email for those of you who think of your questions more clearly, and succinctly in written form versus stumbling over themselves like me when I'm speaking. You can email me at lteam at bridgewoodcc.org, or if you have a carrier pigeon, you can send it that way too, but I wouldn't know how to receive it, so don't don't do that. That was really just a way to end it on a lighthearted note, so... Uh, with that, I will turn the microphone over to another Leisure Team member, Jeff Edward, who's going to give us a great story on offering. Welcome, Jeff.
1: Hey, thank you, Scott. That was a little radio voice there. Uh, finances, money, um, sometimes those can get stressful, right? Anyone ever had stress over that topic? Five people, oh, a little more, Okay. So, uh, a story back in college when I was at Moody Bible Institute circa 1995, not that long ago for some, um, I was in my last year of school, my senior year, and every semester as you register, the last semester has to be paid off. So, I'm getting ready to register for the last semester, I'm excited, I have plans in place, I'm going to... Graduate, I'm going to get a job in youth ministry. I'm going to get married that summer. And uh, the one problem was I didn't have enough money to pay off the last semester to register. And so I started to freak out inside. Some of you know I my freak out face looks like this, the same as my other face's. But on the inside, I was freaking out, like, what am I going to do? If I don't graduate, if I don't register, all my plans are going to be a mess, and then how many years will it take to... And I have a fiancé, and you don't want to give a long time for them to have a second thoughts, and so you, you want things to happen. So I finally hit a spot where I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably talk to God about this. So I... I talked to God and I offered, to, offered it to him and he kind of just said, do you trust me? And I thought about it and he had come through in a lot of places in my life and I came to a pretty fast place of, I'm at peace. Whatever you want to do. It wasn't, okay, he's going to provide. It was just, whatever you want to do, I'm okay with. And so about a day or two later, I went to class, I came back, I I walk up to the front of the building, there's a bulletin board there, and there's a note on the board that says Jeff Edward, and it's written in crayon. And I'm like, what is this? I'm already dating, and she's far, far away, so I know it's not a love note. Um, So I open this note up, and all it says is, I had some extra money. God told me to pay your school bill anonymous. And I was, I was kind of just in shock. And then I went to my room, and I jumped up and down excitedly with this face. And I thanked God. And he has all the resources. Like, he doesn't need us to stress, but sometimes he does challenge us and stretch us because he wants to do something in here. And now, 25 years later, I still remember that story, tell that story, because God is faithful and he proves himself trustworthy. And so, let's pray over our offering with with that in mind. God, you are faithful and you are trustworthy no matter what we're going through. God, help us to trust you uh, through this process. And we thank you that you are the creator of resources. And so help us to trust you with that. And God, where you want to challenge us, help us to be open, help us to be listening so that we can do what you accomplish and be part of the testimony. And so we thank you that you've been faithful and we pray your blessing over this offering. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: As we give our offerings right now, we're going to sing this out. Faithful you are and forever you will be. day after day. Can you stand up just once more? I want you to sing that out just once more with me. Faithful you are and faithful forever you'll be.
3: Lord Hmm. what do you want to say to us this morning Lord thank you Lord we pray that when life gets scattered we can recite that back to us that your promises are yes and amen that you don't Lose us. You're with us, and you help us find our way. So we thank you for that. You are good, Amen. Oh, you can be seated. How many of you guys want a CD of Matt Sure? Well, yeah, yeah. No pressure, Matt. But but would you give us what we want? <laughs> <laughs> that would be really nice. Well, welcome. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, last week, um, Scott and I were on vacation. Um, he planned a trip for us to go to Branson, Missouri, so I get myself a little more southern. I don't know if that, the Lord's telling me anything, but it just seems to be where I end up lately. Um, but we had a beautiful time. We went and saw uh, Abba and Elvis and John Denver. And went on some long walks and had a beautiful dinner together. And it was great to get away and be together. Um, down in uh, the, that area, they make some huge church buildings. Has anybody been down in the south? Like, and you've got some huge Church of Christ buildings. You've got some huge Baptist buildings. And you have um, it is, you know you're in the Bible Belt because you see all these buildings. And it was interesting because today the scriptures are going to take us to a place where we're going to talk about that. Um, We're going to dive into a lot of scripture, so I hope that you're all caffeinated (laughs) and your brains are working and you got some functioning going on. And I'd love to guide us through scripture together. And maybe it's not your habit to bring your Bible to church, which is just fine. But if you want a Bible, we have some available in the back, because I'm actually going to show us the addresses of where we're going to go and what we're going to look at together. Um, so if anyone, does anyone not have a Bible and you want one. So Scott, would you mind? There's a couple right up here. Pass those out. Just keep your hand up till Scott gets you one. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, honey, for 32 years of marriage and planning a trip for us. Yeah. I really appreciate that. So for thousands of years, people have associated dedication to God. I think there was one over here, honey. Right? Yeah. With building temples. For thousands of years. We build temples we dedicate them to God, we go there for worship, we go there for prayer. We still do this. For hundreds of years, when a group decides to exist as a community, here's some buildings for you to look at while I talk, <laughs> of God's people, one of the priorities, and some of you who are, have been at Bridgewood from the very beginning, one of the priorities once you start gathering together is to build a building. Once you get tired of hauling in everything in and out of a a, a school gymnasium, it's time to build a building, right? We have a beautiful building here. And this building exists to serve the purposes of God, doesn't it? And sometimes when you're driving down the street, we have this idea that when we see a church building, it it looks different. It has a different meaning to us than just another building on the street, I remember one time, we, Scott and I were shortly, uh, we became Christians in 1989, and we were going to a church, and we were in this class called Foundations of Faith. It was a beautiful class. They did a great job of giving us some real good foundations to stand on. And I was struggling a little bit with, you know, well, how, if, you're, if I didn't know about God, how do I know about him? If you don't know what you don't know, then how do you know? And the pastor said to me, he said, Well, just look outside. Look at nature. It's evidence of God's creation. But if you don't know God, how do you know? And then he said, So I'm like challenging him because it's sometimes what I do. And he says, Well, just drive down the street and look at all the churches. Look at all the churches you see. It's evidence of God. You see, it meant something to him to see the church buildings. To me, I didn't get it. I mean, I get what he was saying, but I went back to before I knew God, and there's no way I would have known. There's no way that that would have been evidence of God. It exists to serve God. And when this happens, people who love Jesus and build buildings, they have serious conversations about the building. I'm sure the people who worked on designing this building had serious conversations about what it should look like, how it should function, what the roof should look like, what the HVAC units should look like, all those things. I actually, this is going to sound really weird, I love this building. I love walking in here. I love being a part of taking care of it. And I love that we get to have it. It's beautiful and it's good. How we use it gets to still be talked about. So it's a good thing that we have it. But our story tells us that it's not a bad thing to have this building. It's just not the whole thing. It's not the whole thing. So as I was preparing for today, I felt like the Lord said, tell a story. And I'm like, okay, great, what story? And today our story is going to start all the way back in Exodus, chapter 25. So your Bible starts with Genesis, and then there's Exodus. So you can go to Exodus, chapter 25, and while you're doing that, I want to remind us that the scripture is a whole story. We've got this big meta story, this big larger theme of the scriptures. God loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to dwell among you. He wants to lead you and he wants your salvation so that you are with him eternally. It's a big story. And then in that big story there's all these other little stories. We talk about them every week. All the little stories that support what God's bigger story is. And today we're going to look at one of those stories and just pull on that thread just a little bit, which starts in Exodus 25. So what's happening is when God brought the Israelite people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, one of the early instructions God gave them was the commandment to build a tabernacle. Tabernacle, a tent, a tent. Attentive meeting. most of my scriptures today will be out of the uh, English standard version, so but you might have an NIV or it that doesn't matter. The, the message is still the same. They built a place. <laughs> they built a place to, to go to, to worship God. And in Exodus chapter 25 I better go there too, at the very end of the story, at the not, not there yet. Exodus chapter 25, verse eight. We see the commandment from God. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. I may dwell in their midst. God has a purpose. And the purpose is that he would dwell in the midst of his people. Now listen to this, to what happens when the temple is completed. This tabernacle, this tabernacle, he was instructed to receive from the people gold, silver, bronze, blue and purpl- purple and scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, goat's hair tanned, ramskins, skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices, stones, fragrance, onyx, the best of the best. Lord is saying, gather this from the people and build this tabernacle. And it had intricate detail on how it was supposed to be built from all the little details of what the utensils looked like for sacrifice to what worship looked like to the holy of holy to the curtains that separated the partitions of the of the temple it was detailed god was in the details and when everything came together when all the things were done listen to what happens we're going to jump ahead now still in exodus to, uh, Exodus, but we're going to go to chapter 40. So we're going to jump ahead to chapter 40. I'll just wait for some of the page turning to be done. I told the first service, I said, if we're on electric now, electric, electronic Bibles, I won't be able to know if you're there yet because I won't be able to hear if the page turning stop. So Exodus 40, starting in verse 34. And of course, I'm not mean, so I have it here for you too. <laughs> and it says this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. (laughs) And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Does God need to say it again? The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel What throughout all their journeys. You see, the tabernacle was temporary. It was a tent. The tabernacle moved with the people of Israel. Can you imagine The undertaking that would be to take that thing down and put it back up. Good thing they had instructions. I almost said guys, (laughs) but actually there I just did say it. Good thing they had instructions to know how to put it back together and to know how to make it the same as God intended it to be throughout their journeys. It was a temporary dwelling. Now we fast forward generations And we're going to go to 2 Samuel. It's eight books later than Exodus. And we're going to go to 2 Samuel. If you go to first, if you're in the kings, you're too far. So 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we have generations later. And what we're going to see is that David is now king. And David wants to build a temple. Because he has this idea. He says, why am I living in a palace As king, and why am I living in this great place and God dwells in a tent? So you got this comparison thing going on, and he's like, that's not okay. God shouldn't be dwelling in a tent. I'm going to build him a temple. And David's heart is good. I think it is. It doesn't say David's heart is good. That's my interpretation, that David's heart is good. He wants to honor God. He loves God. He's been rescued by God. And so he wants to honor him by building this temple. And in 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 to 3, it says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, first he breathed, no, just kidding, and then the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, where the Ten Commandments dwell, the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Nathan understood David's heart. Build the temple. Honor God. It's good. It's a good thing. And then in verse four, we see God do one of these. Whoa. Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. That very night, verse 4, the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. I don't have this on PowerPoint. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about. I have been moving about in a tent For my dwelling, in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? Did I ever say, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? This is part of God's story with David. He's saying, did I ever tell you to do that? I didn't tell you to do that. David, I took you out of the pastures. I brought you to this place. I made you king like I promised you, but I never told you to build me a house. It's beautiful when you read on further and starts in verse 18. David's heart really is revealed because he goes back to the Lord in gratitude. Thank you, Lord, that you guided me. Thank you that you showed me the way. Thank you for letting me know that this is not what you wanted. This isn't what I asked for. But what we need to see today is after David died, you know who builds the temple? His son Solomon. Solomon builds this huge place. He builds it with everything of the finest things he could find. It, I don't know how long it takes. Some Bible scholars could shout it out. Somebody knows. Scott, do you know? Oh, I thought you might. Um, it takes a lot of years, let's just say that, to build this temple. Because it's so in, in, in intricate and so big and so good. And he builds this temple... And then listen to what happens when this new completed temple had the ark moved into it. So it's years later, Solomon builds it. And then we have this in 1 Kings. So now after 2 Samuel, you're going to just go right to the next book, 1 Kings. This is good practice for us. My hermeneutics professor told us that getting your hands dirty with the ink of scripture is a good idea. (laughs) So 1 Kings chapter 8. Verse 10. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord... Actually, I have this up here for you, sorry. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. God's presence, where he dwells, the glory, his glory resides. When the tabernacle was complete, his glory filled the place. When the temple was complete, his glory filled the place. When the temple and the tabernacle were given to, when they were dedicated to, when they were surrendered to, when they were offered to God, his glory filled the place. God dwelt among them in those places. You see, the Israelites were used to going to a place. They went to the tabernacle. They actually followed it. They followed the cloud. They went and moved along with wherever God was moving the tabernacle. When the, when the temple was built, they went to temple. They went there to worship. It was a place. It was a location. It was a building. But as our story continues and we move into the New Testament, and I promise you I will get to Romans, as we do that, we see that worship is neither place nor building emphasized. It's not emphasized either one. It's not emphasized on a place or a building. And if it's not on a geographical place and not on a building, then where is it? Where is it? Where does that worship happen? Where does that, that place, where does God dwell? Where is it? And that brings us to Romans chapter 8. So you can turn with me to Romans It's in the New Testament after the four Gospels and Acts. Go to chapter 8. We've been here so long the the binding on your scriptures should be a little worn because we go here so often. And we start with verse 8 today. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. And it says this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however... You, Christians, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But, Christians, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Jesus, who is righteousness, is in you. If the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Where is the temple? Where is He? Where is God dwelling? In us. It's his plan. Woo! Come on, somebody. Get fired up. He is in us. He dwells among us. He chose us. The prophet Jeremiah says this in chapter 31, verse 33 I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts. I will. What does it mean to will something? It means it's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen, and Jeremiah says that. I'll put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And their heart, in Hebrew, it's, it's like your gut. It's like your innermost being. It's, it's the place where you, you get nauseous with emotion sometimes. It's the place where you, you just know things sometimes. Why do you just know them? It's because the Spirit of God who brings revelation and a rhema word is living within you. And you just know. It's beautiful. It's part of our story. It's what He calls us to be, and it's how He planned to dwell with us eternally. He's in us. The prophet Ezekiel also talks about this new heart and spirit that God has promised to put in us. When God takes possession of the tabernacle, he fills it with his presence. When he took possession of the temple, he fills it with his presence. When we surrender our lives to him, when we dedicate our lives to him, when we put the house together and say, this is yours, Lord, when that happens, guess what? He fills it with his presence. If you don't think you have any value, think about that for a little bit. As someone who even struggles with that, I think this week I needed to hear that. He chose this. It's his plan. Paul continues to write about this even after Romans and in, in Corinthians. He says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's talking to the church in Corinth. And he says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now there is a lot of instruction in Scripture on how we can glorify God with our body the things we say, the things we do, the things that our mind does that we're supposed to take captive. There's all kinds of things that, we're, that we have instruction, instruction for. But first, I think, we need to just settle on the truth that God is in us. And the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is in us so that when life gets hard, when we fail, when we're hurt, when we miss the mark, when we make a mistake and we have shame for it, when we have shame because we didn't make a mistake but we just aren't sure about who we are, when all those things happen, this matters so that we can stand and say, but I've been chosen. God has chosen to dwell in me. God of the universe, the one who created it all. Now I look outside and I'm like, oh, ha, huh, ha, huh, I see the evidence. <laughs> That's because his spirit dwells in me and speaks to me and says, look at my evidence. We know we're chosen. We know we're his. It's settled. It's cleared. You are filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and so is your neighbor. So is your Christian neighbor. And if we can remember that when we're in conversation or disagreement and we remember that my neighbor is filled with the Spirit of God. Will we act a little different? Obviously, I'm being convicted of that. <laughs> but you know what? The story continues. It doesn't end. It's not ended yet. We're all in progress. We're all growing We're all learning how to thumb our way through scriptures. We're all learning how to be more like him. We're all learning how to dwell with him in us. Ephesians 2.22 says, In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Oh, what hope that we don't have to think we've arrived. Oh, what hope. He is in me and working at making me more like him. And it makes me realize that anytime I need him, anytime I need him, I can settle my soul and and it becomes a thin place and I connect with him because he's always with me. He's always here. Mark's message last week had this brilliant PowerPoint, and we tease him about it sometimes because he does PowerPoint magic and tricks and stuff, and he had this PowerPoint up that had the spirit and the mind and the body, and it had thoughts and feelings. Does anyone remember that? And then God is over here, and, and you're like, you're not put together. You're not whole. And when we're not whole... That's where we can't. That's where we can lose sight of God. That's where we, we where we don't have a good foothold to um, know that He's right here. But the truth, no matter where your thoughts are, where your feelings are, where your mind is, where your body is, where your spirit is, the truth is, God dwells with you. That's the truth. So why does this matter? <laughs> why does it even matter? Has anyone ever done Ancestry.com or done their lineage and kind of gone back and seen where you came from? Anybody like that? Alana, you have? Yeah. It's kind of cool sometimes. I think I am addicted to World War II documentaries and stories because my dad fought in World War II, and he died when I was 23 years old, 24 years old and it helps me stay connected to them a little bit. Sometimes it's good to know where you came from. And I think that the Lord wants us to know, this is my plan. I moved with my people. I dwelt among them. I had a tabernacle. Then, by the grace of my people, they built me a temple, and I dwelt there too. But here's the new way. I choose to dwell among you in you. I think it's good to know our history. Sometimes I think it's good to know the story, and it's good to know that we're being built and we're being in, we're, that we're in progress. Last Thursday, just not too long ago, a few days, I something happened to me, and I got scattered. I was like Mark's PowerPoint; it was all over the board. I don't know if Jesus was even on the board. Anybody have those days where you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this day. I am scattered. And this is my self-talk. Girl, you got to pull yourself together. You have got a message to write. You have got to get into Scripture. You've got to figure this out. Put that on the back shelf. Get where you need to be so you can write this message and do your job. That's, what I, that's my self-talk. Do your job. So I'm trying to do my job, putting this message together, and I am scattered, and I'm having a really hard time. I'm, I'm confused. I don't have clarity. I think I know where God wants to go, but I'm doubting it. I'm not really sure, and yada, yada, yada. So I do what I do really well. I call somebody. Of course, my first go-to isn't to Jesus, I've been trying to train myself to do this for 30 years, and I still can't get it right. And so I call someone, and there's no answer. Yeah, huh? Thank you, Julie. <laughs> and then the next day I call again, someone else. There's no answer. And I'm like, I I don't know where to go. I don't know what I'm doing. And in this whole time, I'm thinking about God dwelling in us. <laughs> And then finally I said, Lord, I need some help. I need some help. And I don't know if you just felt that, but all of a sudden you just kind of go, okay. Now I'm going to the right place. I'm going to the right source. Jesus, I need some help. And I heard in my mind, in my gut, in my thoughts, um, however you want to say it, however it looks like to you, I sensed God saying to me, start with one word. So I opened up the Bible to Romans 8, and I started with one word. Chapter 8, verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, you however. And I thought, however. And then I started doing what I was trained to do in seminary which is inductive study and it's a very tedious project it looks like hard work my seminary professor would tell me it looks like overalls in a shovel and so I started looking at the pronouns and I started looking at the nouns and I started looking at the adjectives and I kind of got a bad attitude while I'm getting started and I'm looking at the verbs and I'm looking at all these things and little by little the Lord is rebuilding my temple He's putting it back together. And then I get to cross-referencing, and then I start seeing this temple reference throughout Scripture, and every time that it is mentioned, it is also about God's dwelling in us. And the, the message begins to form. And I sat back in my office at home, and I said, got it. The study was good. The Scriptures were good but the message of I'm rebuilding you, come to me, was the best. I'm right here. I'm dwelling among you, and I chose to do it. I want to be with you. So I don't know if that means anything to anyone here, but I had a good week then. (laughs) It's a great lesson for me to learn. Great training it feels like training, just like when you open up this, the Bible and someone says, "Go to Obadiah," and you 're like, "Oh boy i 'm not really sure where that is or you know, and so you go to the index and you train and you train and you train, and then eventually you're like, "Okay, I know where John is, okay, I know where Matthew is, okay, I know where Exodus is, and you train and you train and you train, and that 's the same thing with God dwelling in us. We can be trained to know how to go to him and how to be with him. In that place it's a mystery for sure, but it's a mystery filled with glory, with His presence and with hope. and I'll leave you with this, Colossians 1:27To them God chose Your value is priceless. It's priceless. He chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You guys are all glory dwellers. The Lord dwells within you in a mighty, mighty way. And that's good news. Go and be the messengers and carry his glory with you wherever you go. And let's just keep working together that when we're scattered we can submit to the training of the Lord to find him and be with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, just the revelation of how much you are in the details. As Psalm 139 says, thank you for how intricately you have made us, how wonderfully you have crafted us. Of course you have, because you knew, you knew It would be your dwelling place. Hmm. Thank you for a story that you've written and thank you for the story that you're still writing on our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would be a church body that glorifies you. I'm so grateful, Lord, that that when we make a mistake or when we miss the mark, you just gently guide us back. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for being a God that dwells among your people. In Jesus' name.
2: besides you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those of you No. Just the only one you could ever see. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for You, oh, we live for You. You're holy, holy. There is no one like You. There is none beside.